Hey there, PDX Real Estate Podcast listeners. Before we get into today's show, I've got a real quick announcement for you, and that is that my company, TTM, is still looking to buy fixers and teardowns all over the Portland metro area, even in this post-corona economy that we have going on right now. So if you have anything that comes across your desk that may not fit the retail market, we'd love to hear from you. All you got to do is go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. There's a contact us tab, fill out the information, submit it to us, and we'll give you a call. Or if you'd like to, just call us at the office, 503-224-6200, and we'd love to chat with you about the property. Now, let's get into the show. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. Hey, welcome everybody. It's Friday on Facebook and this is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back. We're live in Masters. We got another great show for you guys this week. We've got some big announcements, one that Joe dropped on everybody about 15 minutes ago. So I'll welcome you guys and then I'll I'll hand you the floor, Joe, for the uh, announcement. Oh, awesome. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Hey, Tucker. Hey, Steve. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Steve, you're looking good with that new camera. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I uh, I got it from you guys. I, I got to keep up with the Joes. <laughs> Joes and the Tuckers. Um, I got to have the sharp the sharps imagery or I'm going to look like the uh, the guy from yesteryear on Zoom. All right, Joe, so you dropped a new logo. I, I was kind of like, oh, new logo. Yeah, whatever. But it's cool. I like it. Nice yeah, well, done, so. well, thanks. So I've been in... I've been thinking about it for a while. And the hardest thing is if you have a idea in your head, you just can't grab a designer's thoughts and say, Hey, live in my head for a second and know exactly what I want. But with this second designer who I absolutely love, um, I kind of relayed what I was looking for and there's a lot of meaning in it. Right? So, with the other uh, first logo, I just kind of wanted to see what they came up with. This logo, it makes sense. You see a pyramid of exactly the same size triangles that form a great big triangle. And then of course, there's the one on the top that's just a little bit different. And I think that rep represents the, the masters in real estate. Um, the other thing is not everybody in masters in real estate are necessarily masters in real estate, right? Everybody had a first day. I had a first day, you guys had a first day, um, but it represents that they are here and the goal is to, to be the best, to master your craft, to be the, you know, the best you can possibly be. And <clears throat> what is neat about this is I shared uh, the logos with everybody and they're transparent. So if you put this logo on your company colors, let's say your colors are, are blue, um, all of the lines in the pyramid will be blue. It will come through the, the pyramid because it's transparent. So 
if someone wanted to use it as their email signature, just tack it underneath their email signature or put it on a business card, you're more than welcome to do it. Um, I think masters in real estate holds so much more weight than say like the, you know, five-star professional, right? Uh, at least we've been around nine years. There's strict criteria to get in being a realtor or, and real estate related services. And then you got to follow the rules or you'll be like on the outside. And so uh, when I shared this, um, I also shared high end stuff. So if someone wanted to make a shirt or a hat or a bag, um, feel free to do it. But uh, I appreciate the members and it's the least I could do to update the last revision. Someone told me it looked like the Freemasons symbol. <laughs> and I just couldn't get that out of my head. I'm like, man, I got to get rid of this immediately. And maybe You're I- You're talking about the one before, Joe? Yeah, it was like it a- looked, It looked a little bit like a spider. Yeah, you well, if have... you look at the photos, if you're on Masters and you look at recent photos, you'll see that it's a kind of a spidery yeah. sort of kind of a star type thing. And that I had to go. I didn't hate it, but this one, this one's sharp. This one's really, really sharp. And I, I love the font and the, 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 I'm kind of a, a font junkie. Like, I mean, they, it makes such a difference in marketing and, and branding, how, yeah. you know, the fonts used and the, the colors and just how the words look. And it's really sharp, really classy looking. Thanks. And it has like a little like shadow, little shine, right? Yeah. The pyramid yeah. and masters has a little, shine like it's silver kind of yeah, like a brushed silver it's like really cool looking i yeah. see some masters merch in your near future joe maybe that uh will hand hey that, man uh, i pass that out to viewers huh when i get a little bit more time uh i'm gonna make uh some cool stuff and i'm i'm putting you guys down for a, a shirt and a hat too oh Every that's awesome yeah that's awesome good well keep keep it up keep it going right when's on. the big 10 year anniversary that's true. Coming up. Well, we got a big uh, show today. We've got a lot of topics uh, we January. to get into. Steve, there was, um, before we get into that, there was one thing that you wanted to cover, or maybe I just lob it at you. Um, we had, uh, we lost a, a, you know, a very big fixture in the real estate industry since our last show, a gentleman that I knew, um, Joe knew, um, you obviously knew as well. And I figured uh, this, this is as good a time as any to maybe make mention to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I actually, interesting enough, Tucker, met him the same way I met you and at the same place that I met you. And we're talking about Mike Hassan here. There's a great uh, Portland Real Producers magazine. Most of us have seen it. Um, it's been around for a few years. They've, they've, you know, spotlighted a bunch of people along the way. This was my favorite of all the issues. Um, I was fortunate to be quoted in it because I, I did meet Mike um, at Club Sport. Um, and gosh, I met him. I was new to the business. Probably 04 is when I was, I was back in the weights area, um, waking up early 05, somewhere in there and hitting the weights in the early mornings. And he was always there. He was just a regular fixture there. And, um, somewhere along the way, I mean, we just started talking. I didn't even know who he was for, for probably the longest time. And I think we were just talking about lifting weights and, and stuff. And then, uh, then, then I found out he was Mike Hassan. And of course, you know, that was a well-known name in, in real estate. And, uh, 
you know, we, we just start, and he was, he was always so nice, even though I'm a guy that was, you know, uh, younger and newer to the business and, and, you know, a couple of years in always friendly, always sharing, always wise. Um, and, and, uh, man, I, and, and I saw him, I mean, we, I lifted there next alongside him through, um, for 10 plus years. Right. And so, we we talked during the heydays of 0506. We I I was around him, you know, we we talked during the downturn. I remember he, you know, I distinctly remember, you know, talking about he, he what he was excited about, you know, during the challenges of the downturn. He's like, "Man, there are properties hitting the market that have never been on the market, just those premier just amazing properties that are now, you know, within people's grasps." That was, you know, some of the stuff I remember him talking about. And then um, I remember when he got his first, you know, bout with cancer, he talked about that and, and getting through that. And so I, I definitely shared a lot of a lot of memories with him. One thing I wanted to say, and, and this was kind of I'm, I made a post on this about Facebook because because he, he had so much wisdom and he was so sharing of it with others, everybody. Um, who, who, who gave him the opportunity and whether, whether you worked with him or not, whether you were in his com company or not, I thought how great for us who got that from him to share it with others, which means basically we're sharing in the future, a piece of mic, right? And one thing he shared with me that <laughs> I've seen both sides of since then um, and I'll explain here in a second, was living within your means. He was really big on that. And actually, in this magazine, there was another quote from Debbie Lau. She said, um, Mike practiced what he preached. Live below your means. Give your clients best service. Um, <clears throat> and it reminded me of multiple conversations he would have with me where he, he'd say, Steve, you're going to see so much smoke and mirrors in this business. You're going to see people driving the fanciest cars in this business. He was talking um, with the biggest houses and they're not behind the curtain. There's not going to be what it looks like. Right. And this was in 05, 06. And here's the crazy part of the story. You ready for it? I was one of those people <laughs> when he was giving yeah. me that advice. In 06, I had just bought a house on the lake. I had a you know $70,000 boat, several cars. But man, I, 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 did, I couldn't even buy furniture for that house. I mean, I had rooms that were empty and I, and, and I was like, I was like, would have been good advice two years ago, right? And um, <laughs> And sure enough, when the downturn came, I mean, it decimated me, decimated my business had me making poor decisions. Um, it's really hard to be successful in any business and strategize about your business if you're worrying about the problems and bills and challenges of today. If you're having financial problems today, you are not innovating for tomorrow or for next year, and you're not creating and improving your service and your value. Um, so the good news of that story, I, I survived through the most painful of processes and here we are in 2021 and, um, going through probably the biggest boom I've ever seen. And I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of, you know, other old timers recently, Brian Belairs is one of them. I just had beers with him a couple days ago and I was like, Brian, have you ever seen a market this, this crazy? 
And he said, no. So we're in another boom today, but I've learned those lessons from Mike. I'm living well within my means. I'm not, you know, um, I, I, I live in a, a modest house with, with a modest payment. It's a nice house, but it's, it's, it's well within my means. And that's, that would, was the takeaway is it's okay to have a million dollar house. Just do it when you really could have, could technically on paper afford a $3 million house. It's okay to have a $3 million house. Just do it when you technically could have a $7 million house, right? That's living within your means. It's not, hey, don't have nice stuff. Just do it when technically you could have much nicer stuff. It will ultimately allow your business to thrive and eventually get you maybe that, that nicer stuff. I have a client that we just closed um, on a property. It was a two and a half million dollar house in Lake Oswego. And I'll be honest with you. He probably shouldn't have been buying it. I mean, it was a challenge to get the financing done. I, you know, I found out some details through the process and, and I, you know, he probably is a guy that should be, you know, in a million dollar house or a million and a half dollar dollar house. Um, but there is a tendency of that. And, and as realtors, we're the gatekeepers of homes. We sell homes. So, Two things I'll say. First of all, it's we're probably the ones tempted the most by houses, right? Because we're going to them. We're seeing the best of the best. We're ooing and aahing. And it's just so tempting to to, to want it to, to, you know, I an analogy I'd use is, you know, we're like the ice cream scooper uh, in an ice cream store, right? You, you want to sample everything you want to... Um, but you got you got to you got to check yourself in that regards. And the other thing I would say about it is we're also exemplary in in what we do, right? If we're if we're making poor decisions with our primary residence, and I'm just picking on that example, even though there's other ways you can be fiscally irresponsible. If we're making poor decisions with our primary residence, what kind of example are we setting for our clients? And and is you know is that the 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 best thing for the market? You know historically and long term. And I say this as we are in a crazy market where probably a lot of people are putting their necks out there in ways that you know time will tell how it plays out. So that was my story, and I thought I'd share that with with our audience. That's no, that's the absolute truth. Um, you know, there was a commercial years back. And it's like, this is George. And George has this beautiful five bedroom, 4,500 square foot colonial, three new cars in the driveway on an acre. And he's in his new riding mower. And he's like mowing the lawn on his riding mower. And, and the narrator says, how are you going to pay for all this, George? And he like looks into the camera. And he's like, I have no idea. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's better to sleep at night knowing that you're super conservative than to try and make the world think you're this super successful hotshot and you got to cover this big nut every month. And the moment there's a skip in the record is when you have that spiral and hit the bottom. Yep. So live yeah. with means people. And, and it uh, gives you the clarity in your mind that you can plan because the smart people plan, you know, beyond the deal you're in. You're planning for the year, you're planning three years out, five years out, 10 years out. And the people who all they want to do is close something so they can make that payment for their Range Rover or whatever it is. Um, it's great, great advice to live within your means. Yeah.
Yep. Very good. We saw a lot of people, Steve, go from uh, Mercedes to Kias. <laughs> and I think <laughs> those of us that, you know, went through that up and down of the, you know, early 2000s, the down was a big down, obviously. I, I almost think it left, you know, how in that previous generation, the Great Depression left an impact on a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I feel yeah. like those of us that were in the real estate business back then um, and, and, and wrote it up, wrote it to the crash and wrote it back out, it's left such an imprint on us because we've seen markets that, are, that go from crazy to just decimated, right? And mm -hmm. we see the damage that that causes personally, financially, everything else. And so, I mean, I know I will never, you know, shake that experience. Um, it's left an imprint on me forever. And, I, and it goes back to your point of being fiscally conservative with your lifestyle, because we've seen what happens to people when it doesn't and the market changes quickly. Yeah. And, and it's easy to remember that about ourselves because that is true. And, and Joe as well. But if you look around our business, there's a healthy chunk of people that were not in the business in 11, you know, or before. And so it's, we forget that they don't have that. They don't have any um, in the business memory of how challenging things can be. And so you worry a little bit about them, especially like at a time like right now. I mean, it feels like in this business, we, we're, we're all printing money, right? I mean, to some extent, you know, relatively speaking, compared to even just a couple of years ago. I mean, things are, things are selling so fast. Listings are basically cash in the bank when you get them. Um, and... Uh, it would be a, it would be really problematic to build your lifestyle based on that that continuing forever i mean um cuz it won't we know that it can't <laughs> yeah we saw what happened last time remember the soft landing they said <laughs> <laughs> little, little froth in the market yeah, yeah. in yeah. the housing market so well good advice all around i mean given that was our how we kind of kicked this thing off should we go into maybe a, a market uh, commentary that was in Masters, or what do you guys want to kick it off with? Yeah, sure, sure. Are you talking you know, about, about the one uh, uh, David Chandler's one about the the little tough shed? As good as any, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm staring at it right now. There's like, as of right this moment, 332 emojis assigned with this and 49 comments and masters isn't all about like serious topics i mean people have fun all the time too and i think this is great it's just kind of a product of what we're seeing right now it's you know it's all about listings 100 so yeah. what does the post say just so that everybody knows oh uh it was uh posted by david chandler March 3rd at 1.10 p.m. And it says, new on the market today, close in Northeast location, one bed, one bath, uh, pretty much one everything, kind of small but cute <laughs> for $9.97,000, um, highest and best. And it's a picture of a, it's like a miniature modern farmhouse. It's all white with a black door and it is a 10 by eight tough shed. <laughs> it's just shy of a million and he's like uh uh you know this is kind of what we're dealing with in the market and we got a bunch of funny comments down below yeah i've seen some stuff i mean i'll just jump into it i've seen i think we're at the the 
pinnacle thus far of like, let's just throw some crazy shit at the wall and see if it sticks price wise. Right. Cause I've mm -hmm. seen some stuff pop on the market in the last week that I'm just like, what planet did they pick that price on? I, I really don't know, but I could be wrong. I'm not saying I'm right and the market won't warrant that number uh, to, or close to it, but I am seeing some stuff like that. I don't know about you guys, but that's been my take over the last week. I, it's crazy to me what is starting to become average. Um, like it's, it's getting to where if a buyer comes to you and they don't have qualification of 600,000, like you're not excited to work with them and not because it's not a big paycheck, but because it's just, I mean, we just saw market action. The average price in the metro area is now 515, right? Or in the in the fives, well into the fives. Um and uh and 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 we know those homes are all going 50 grand over. So um it's what we I was talking when actually when I was with Brian Belairs um the other day having a beer, we were talking about how um one of us has a uh a police officer in Hillsboro, first time buyer, can't afford a house. I mean, you know, him and his wife. It's it's just getting a little bit kooky with pricing in relation to income, especially for first time buyers who aren't benefiting from some sale of something that's also in that market. And um, I worry about um I worry about the market when the first time buyers are getting priced out, um, you know, average Joe's with, you know, average, relatively average Joe's. I mean, you know, good, you know, police officers, not, not a, it's not a plaid pantry job, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a viable career path with a, a, a living wage. Um, and if, if the, if the first time buyers can't reach the first rung of the ladder, then the other rungs don't really work that well. Like, cause they're buying the move up buyer's house. Who's buying the move up buyer's house. So um, it's, it's a little crazy now. So, so I'll even go so far as to say, I'm thrilled to see interest rates going on the rise. I think we need, we need the, the market to get a little bit more rational and, and, and a little cool off of sorts. Um, so it's been, positive for me to see interest rates rising. Now, when interest rates first rise, I think they have a tendency to make everybody jump in that everybody was on the sidelines, maybe is freaking out and going, oh, they're going up, let's hurry and do this. But once they've risen for a little while and you know some months go by, then there's a tendency for a little cool off, which I think will be healthy. What do you guys think? We're, we're talking like what, it's low fours right now. That's ridiculously amazing. I think it's still in the threes, Joe. Uh, yeah, and and by the way, I'm not saying they're I'm not saying they're bad. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying. It, well, before, yeah, it's yeah. it's been um, they've been going up a quarter and then they've been bouncing around a little bit. Um, but you know, high threes, low fours, whatever. I mean, I remember rates that were seven and eight, and it's just like this is nothing. I mean, this is amazing. Um, and they are fudging up a little bit, and we'll have to see how it shakes down. And you know, maybe we'll build more inventory, but. Um, it's still absolutely amazing rates. And uh, I think we just need to progress, get a little better weather, uh, get more inventory. You know, the, there was another post on Masters that I thought was kind of neat, which it's like, okay, you, you talk to the buyer, they're good for 400,000. <laughs> so, 
you look, you show them a $365,000 home and they say, okay, we like it. And they're like, well, we're good for 400. This is only 365. And it's like, well, we're going to offer 400 on this house and let's cross our fingers that we get it. And there's a little bit of education with the buyers right now, whatever their max is, you've got to be looking 50 grand below that max. Cause if you shop their max and it escalates over asking price, you have nowhere to go. So, you know, the, the price in MLS is, is not the real price. So you need to build that cushion um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how this moves forward. I, I'm just going to go out there and make a prediction, right? Like if, and this is if interest rates continue to bump up slightly. And I do agree with you, Joe, on a macro level, they're phenomenal. I just feel like they have been low, super low for so long that it's baked into the price of the asset a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So as rates go up, it is going to affect, number one, um, I think inventory. It's going to start causing it to stack a little bit because people are going to be like, whoa, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's all relative. We're used to two and a half percent rates. Now we got to pay four or whatever. And it's kind of a little bit of sticker shock, even though historically they're still very low. But I think as inventory starts to build with that, and then on top of it, you have some pretty crazy numbers that people are putting stuff out at that may not get absorbed. Right. And it might start to get a little bit stale or they need a reduction, just time on the market. Those two factors might cause inventory to stack a little bit. And if it does that, we may go back into a, a cooler type environment, a slightly slightly more balanced market, right? I'm not saying we're going to get all the way to balance, but I think those are the two. Heck, two months of inventory. <laughs> yeah, like maybe That'd two months of inventory, right? <laughs> um, that's kind of how I see it going down. If rates don't go up, um, then I don't know. I don't know where it goes. I mean, it's funny, a year ago, we were having discussions and like, the high-end market had dropped 10%. Financing was tough to get. Um, you know, it, it just was a totally different world. And now here we are a year later, nothing has really changed other than the fact that the market is on fire and prices have probably gone up, 10, came back and then gone up another 10% since then. So it's been a crazy ride. And I, I do agree with you though, Steve. I think there's a lot of entry-level first-time buyers that are now priced out. Because if you're not rolling equity from another purchase, it can be very challenging to um, not only get your offer accepted because you're, you know, you're a minimal down payment type loan versus having a large down payment unless you've got a gift or something like that. But also, you know, the you're limited in terms of what your income can can actually qualify you for. So I, I think we're at the max that I see we can be in terms of price. I just don't see how things keep getting pushed from where we're at. But I know. It's been, it's crazy, and and remember the reopening of the economy, which is gaining some some legs. I mean, you have to think that's going to distract home buyers at the very least, distract them, and not only them but their money too, right? So the money that's pouring into housing right now is largely because there isn't other avenues to put it into. There's not the travel. There's not. Heck, the 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 Blazers are are reaching out to me and trying to you know get me excited for next season, right? Um, Maybe that will happen, right? We'll see. But um, there's money that that right now is in my bank account and everybody else. I mean, so there's and there's a lot of examples of that. So that has to have some impact on housing if the the wallet starts to have other options for using money, right? In addition to the interest rate component. So well, you know it's. Well What's interesting, uh, you guys, is I know this all too well. So as realtors, we you know list 
and sell houses for people and we're in the trenches and stuff. And things kind of change when you yourself are a buyer or a seller. And um, after this podcast, I'm waiting on photography, but my house is going live uh, as soon as the photography gets in. Awesome. And, uh, and people are like, oh, wow, cool. Uh, you know, where are you moving? And I'm like, I have no idea. There, <laughs> there is nothing available on the market. I'm selling my house and I'm probably, you know, going to maybe rent a little condo or, or a, a little kitchenette behind you. <laughs> yeah, just uh, roll out a little futon here. And, and, uh, that wouldn't be awkward for your agents coming into the office. Joe's Joe's in his onesie pajamas. Yeah, what is it like, George Costanza, who used to take <laughs> naps under the desk? Um, but yeah, so it, it's all the emotions are coming back, and I think we need to buy and sell as realtors our own property to center us with what our sellers are feeling and what our buyers are feeling. I mean, it's, it's a little harrowing that you're going on the market, you're having people run through your house there, you know, during COVID and, and you got to be out of your house from literally 10 AM till 8 PM say, and there isn't going to be a moment of daylight in between. It's just going to be a, an ant farm over there. So I'm probably going to be here a lot. Um, but yeah, we're going live and, and the faith that while I'm pending, I'm going to see that perfect house that we're going to love, that we're going to make an offer on. I think it's about half a 1% that that house will pop up because I've been looking for, we've been looking for years. So you're looking for something with water views. Is that what I recall? Or some kind of great view, right? Yeah. So we have like 3,900 feet and it's on a third of an acre and it's in West Lynn. And I got to tell you, it's an amazing house. We were there 16 years, raised my daughters Give there. Us an address. Out. Do you mind giving an address to our listeners? Uh, no, not at all. It's a 2600 Gloria Drive in West Lynn. We're going to um, all, um, we're going to all coming live, this yeah. going live this afternoon. Everybody. Yeah. Going live this afternoon. Gloria Drive. Okay. What's your uh, price? What's eight, your price? Uh, Eight ninety nine nine, keeping it under nine. Okay. Um, four bedrooms, three full baths, two half baths, two family rooms, uh, views of the city. Uh, it's cool. It's a, a little cul-de-sac, private, um, 16,000 something lot. There's two lots, but if you stick them together, it's 16,000 and change. And uh, it's my wife and I have 2,000 square feet each. <laughs> it's like I don't we don't need that and then so my wife today's our 27th year anniversary by the way um uh she's works at Mercy Corps which was her dream job she always wanted to to work there and has done cool stuff gone to Guatemala done all this awesome stuff well she's 100% virtual because of COVID and when everyone gets their shots, they're just going to say, we're doing so well with no one coming into the office. Do you want to continue? And she's going to say, yeah. So she's been at, um, she bounces back and forth between our cabin and here. And I kind of need to be here for a few days out of the week. And then I can go up and join her the rest of the day. So I think the main thing is get the house sold. And then the next thing is I need to find a little house to rent or a condo um, until 
in a perfect world, uh, one level living on the Willamette River would be outstanding, or one level living with a dynamite view. And that's my hope. And I'm probably going to spend north of what I'm selling my house for, but um, I just, I can't find them. They don't build small houses on premium lots, right? No, I, I'm they don't. Downsize to a bigger house is what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I have a couple questions for you, Joe. Are you listing your house yourself? Or are you doing it through someone else? Do you have a co-list? I'm just curious how, how you're handling that. Um, I'm doing it myself. Uh, you know, I've been doing this 30 years. Um, everybody knows from masters that um, I'm, you know, very cautious about antitrust sure. laws. I also understand if you're wearing too many hats. It's not illegal yeah. to list your own house. Sure, it's sure, sure. And there was no wrong answer, by the way. To be serious. a dual agent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I'm doing it because I so think- we can, So we can go show your house and then tell you all the, the things we don't like about it. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that place was so dark and dingy. And yeah, absolutely. And how do you live there? I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah. kidding. And I don't have um, cameras anywhere, so you're free to <laughs> say whatever you want. <laughs> I might, I'm just going to create a fake buyer and go show 2600 Gloria. <laughs> yeah. It's, if the place was smaller, you want to buy Gloria? <laughs> I, I, I had somebody come offer me a pretty ridiculous number for my house last week, but I got nowhere to go. So maybe, maybe I'll move into Joe's house. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Write a check. <laughs> hey, we have a question here and I want to address it because me and Joe have the perfect answer. So the question is from Curtis Burnett, and um, they said, thoughts on disclosing highest bid on multiple offer situations. Mm. So Joe and I just had this happen last weekend, right, Joe? Divac. Yeah. So, and this is, this is a testament to how crazy the market is. That I, have a, I had a listing on Divac. We were at 589. And, and when, 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 when I say that we were at 589, this is what's so crazy about this market, guys. Homes that sold a year ago, what they sold for with no improvements being made really don't matter anymore, right? Do you remember in a normal market where you'd go, oh, that sold a year ago? And actually, it sat on the market for you know two months before it sold, and they dropped their price once. So it clearly was the right price then, and it was a challenge to sell then. So here a year later with them doing nothing to the house, we, we should be able to do this little game of what's it worth today, right? No, you can't. It's crazy. Debok, the listing I just sold on Debok, my people bought it in late 18. So basically a year and a couple months ago, right? Two late years. 19, late 19, late, late 19, 19. Okay. sorry, late 19. Yeah. Um, so a year and a couple months ago. It was it sat on the market at like 550. Then they dropped it to like 529 and we we got it at that price, right? They call me a few months back, they want to relist it. We list it at 589, right? They've done nothing to speak of to the house. So I'm thinking, you know, that's 60 grand in a year for doing nothing, right? Joe, I'm getting, and I'm Curtis, I'm getting to your question. We have it, it, we have a circus, right? We have, we have a zoo. We have, you know, tons of people to the open house, standing room only outside line. Joe's got a buyer who goes to the open house. 
Joe reaches out to me and he goes, Hey, um, is, did you, are you getting a nuclear offer? Is what he said, <laughs> meaning, are you getting some crazy offers? I said, I have one with an escalation to 650 right now. And he goes, thank you. My buyer can't do that. Um, the, and what your, your line was the, the best, sometimes the best offers are the ones you never write. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a cool line. That's so, that's all I was all I wanted. I didn't want the secret sauce. I'm just like, look, I've written a thousand offers in my life. And if this is escalated higher than what these people can do, then I'm tapping out, you know, let's save each other, like, you know, save me hours of writing it up, save my potential buyers expectations of maybe we'll get it, maybe we won't. It's like that blew them out of the water. And um, I would I like to, I really appreciate the listing agents that say, hey, sometimes I just say, hey, look, my people love the house. They're approved up to X. If you're north of X, I'm going to take my ball and bat and go home. Um, but if you're saying there's a chance, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the hunt. And that was really my, my whole method. And if we were kind of in the hunt, then of course, you're doing a job for your buyer. You try and extract as much information as you possibly can from the listing agent. It is not illegal, folks, for that listing agent with permission from their sellers to say what highest and best is. Um, if, if the sellers give you permission to do that, I would get it in writing, by the way, then you can do that. There was a thread somewhere I read about it, like, hey, can't we just all be transparent and save ourselves some time, treat it kind of like an auction? Um, there were people that were for it and, and people that weren't for it. But I'll tell you what, if we went from keeping our cards close to our chest to being completely transparent, there would still be people bitching about that method because nobody's happy about anything, right? So careful what you wish for. If we completely change our strategy, being absolutely transparent, there's going to be a different coalition claiming foul play and all this other stuff. So um, it isn't illegal to do, uh, but it's between that listing agent and their clients and how they want to go about it. I hope that answers the question. Yeah. And, um, and it's, you want to be careful. You want to do it only <clears throat> at a moment where you know you've got a great offer, right? You don't want to do this on on hearsay that offers are coming. You don't want to scare people away when you think offers are coming. You need to have that offer in writing. And a great way to do it is have the buyer's agent, just like you said, Joe, say, hey, I was thinking about writing an offer for X. Is it worth our effort, right? And let and agents save each other time. Say say, hey, I just don't think you're gonna get it at that amount. What's the worst that can happen? A, you don't get another low lower offer that that is unnecessary paperwork and and hassle for everybody, especially them. Or they go, okay, let me go back to my buyers. Maybe they'll come up, and and maybe they do. Right? If you Joe, you know Joe, if you had said, oh my gosh, my my guy, my guy will do that. Let me see what I can get done. I mean, we're hey, now I've got a, a better offer coming, right? So there's not a really a downside to it. Um, I think there's this there's this kind of this notion out there that it's somehow illegal or it's like you know it's well if if it if it was within their qualifications, I would have said, 
Is it above six? Is it above 602? Is it above 604? <laughs> Am I getting hot? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm getting warm here. <laughs> but the other part of my story is that's the crazy market we're in, guys. This place is selling for 650 and it sold a, a year and a couple months ago for 529 and it sat on the market at that price a little bit, right? It wasn't a, you know, a quick sale. It wasn't an off-market sale. I mean, it's just bananas out there. That's I actually nice. competed for that listing yeah, and they didn't go that. with me. They went with the other guy because I told them it would sell for what it actually sold for. Um, yeah. And they tacked on 30 grand and got the listing. Oh. And Well, stop telling people the truth, Joe. Geez. Yeah, you got to know. <laughs> hey, I don't even know the truth these days. I'm looking at what things closed for and I'm like, I'm absolutely shocked. I have a, a realtor friend of mine who does a lot of business up at the mountain and she has all these listings with these prices. And I'm thinking, there's no way I can't justify or support any of this because we get our intel from history, right? What's closed. Well, if you're on a spike, you don't have the history three months, six months ago, isn't going to reflect what's going on right now. And I'll be darned if she doesn't sell them for full price and cash and they close and she's just ripping it up and i mean i need to do the ice bucket challenge and wake up because uh i what i comp out um i'm fooling myself because what it looks like it should sell for it sells for much more than that after the bid war and everything else mm -hmm. surprisingly I'm not seeing a lot of appraisal issues. I mean, because there's a challenge there, right? Like when nothing, everything's going, you know, leaps and bounds over the last one, you 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 have to think it's a challenge for the appraisers. And knock on wood, <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, as of yet, we were talking about this. The seller was asking me, "Well, are our homes not appraising?" I'm like, "I'm sure they are, and I'm sure there's stories out there, but it's not rampant." I, you know of the deals we have going it's not half or a third or you know a quarter it, i mean it's it's a pretty small percentage um even historic by historic amounts that are not appraising out so that's positive for the market well, and so i i had it happen a few times but look the, the appraiser is there to justify collateral for the bank it isn't necessarily a fair representation of the market. What's a fair representation? You got a truckload of offers. It sold for 50 grand more than full price. The market has spoken, right? And if it appraises low, part of the terms people make that aren't cash are, hey, we'll guarantee the difference between what we offered and, and what you have listed at full price. We'll guarantee the first 25 grand of a low appraisal. And if you're putting 30% down and it appraises low, well, okay, you put 25% down and you bring in money uh, to make up the difference. And it's kind of all the same. You know, it's just where you put your money. Some of it's down payment. Some of it is making up for what you can't get a loan for, but it's kind of horse trading. And at the end of the day, you're getting it for market value. And you also know that there's a backup offer for what, two grand underneath yours and a backup offer to that, to two grand underneath that guys. So um, even if they don't appraise, there are ways to guarantee it and it's not an issue, but I have been seeing things appraise. Be smart about it. Don't write things in the offer 
that the appraiser is going to read and it's going to put him in on the hot spot that now he's challenged or she is challenged to maybe appraise it low based on your verbiage. Um, understand that underwriters, lenders, and appraisers are all reading your earnest money agreement. So don't make them obligated to lean that direction. Yeah. And that DBOC listing, we got an appraisal waiver. That's, that was crazy too. I mean, there is no appraisal. They got a waiver on it. So hey, I anyways. sold, I sold one last week and this has never happened to me by the way. And we put out a great product. So I understand in theory why somebody who knows our product would do this, but just overall in the real estate market, it's kind of crazy. No inspections, no appraisals, no inspections of a septic system either. Nothing. Jeez. Yeah, that's that's the bananas out there. We're seeing we're seeing a lot of that. I mean, first of all, I never recommend anyone not do inspections, but we're seeing a lot of offers where they're saying we will do inspections, but we're not asking for anything. Like the whole round of negotiations is gone. I would say half over half the buyer transactions we're seeing that's the case. No, no renegotiations after inspections. Now to not do them is, is a different story that's a little scarier, but it's a newer home, right? Relatively. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a renovated home that we did. I mean, and we've got oh. a track record of putting out a product that we do yeah. everything we should do, but still, you know, we've been doing that for 15 years, you know? And so it's just a testament to the times and, you know, in a cooler market, I can tell people that we do everything that needs to be done in the home and they go, okay, well, we're going to do inspections and see if we agree with you. Right. In a hot yeah. market like this, they're like, Okay. Sounds good. You know? So yeah. it's just, it's nuts, man. I have never, and we saw the last time, last time was crazy. Right. Um, but I've never seen it this crazy. I really have. No, and no, it's your story, you know, concludes 2600 that. Gloria drive yeah. <laughs> escalator it's, to 950. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's remember when you were kids and you played that game of it's musical chairs where you have 30 people in a room and there's 29 chairs. It's like there's 30 people in the room and there's five chairs. That's yeah. what's, that's what's happening out there. Right. I mean, what it feels it, like it's just, it's just hog piles on everything. So it's it's brutal to be on the buying side, but um, it's it's good to be on the listing side, Joe, and that's where you are. Yeah. Um, hey, Tucker, tell us about your uh, Lake Oswego project. By the way, um, you you got your uh, your tree. I I did. We had a uh, God, it was probably a four month fight, um, and it could have gone longer. Honestly, um, it was a it was a real challenge because here's the issue in Lake Oswego, and the the city's fully aware of this. I've spoken to Randy numerous times offline. He's fully aware of this. Every builder in Lake Oswego is fully aware of this. The city knows it needs to be changed, but nobody wants to touch it because it's a political hot plate. But basically the way that the tree code is written is virtually any tree on any lot can be deemed significant. And significance is deemed at the point that enough people complain about what you're doing to the property through redevelopment. And so in the case of our property that we're doing, we're building a new home on Noss Road. Uh, we had 22 people who got all fired up about a leaning split fir tree um, and they wanted to deem that as significant. We obviously did not feel it was a significant tree, number one, because it sat within the building envelope um, or the building, building envelope that we could then build a building footprint. And so basically the legal building envelope for the lot for any new home, it sat within that. But number two is it was leaning towards whatever house we were going to build and it was split and it had all kinds of issues. So those 22 people that wrote very uh, interesting letters uh, convinced the city that it should be deemed a significant tree, which then 
from our position, we've already designed a plan. We've spent 20 plus thousand dollars on that plan. We've submitted it. We're in, you know, review for multiple months. And then once this happens, the city comes back and says, you know, I think we're going to deem this tree significant, which means you've got to scrap your existing plan and start all over from scratch, which is just crazy, right? So I hired a guy that uh, I called Mr. Wizard because he looked like him, but he was a tree guy and he, and he got a, a tool called a resistograph and he basically went out there and he stuck the tree with a giant needle and he was able to determine that the tree was in fact compromised on the inside to some extent. So beyond the fact that the, the tree needed to go just based on its location, it was also a compromised tree that was gonna fail at some point. So once I could prove that, the city could not just ignore it because there's a, an extreme liability issue there if it ever fell on a house or killed somebody or fell across the street or, or whatever. And so ultimately that was the reason why we won um, the decision back the other way, making it a non-significant tree. The crazy neighbors still thought that, you know, I'm the worst thing ever and that this tree should stay. The fortunate thing was there was an appeal period, which landed at a kind of a lucky time. It was a terrible time for many of us, though. It was right after the ice storm and trees were down everywhere. And I think and I'm hopeful here that it caused people to reassess and think that not every tree is a good tree. Right. Wow. Um and I think that it did a little bit because we didn't actually get an appeal, which then would have strung us out. We would have gone to had to go to DRC and potential city, potentially city council to basically re-argue this whole thing. So we won. We didn't get appealed finally. And um, now we're in the 14 day uh, notice period because we have to give everybody a notice for 14 more days to say, hey, we're going to tear down this house that's sitting there. So plan your lives around it. Make sure that uh, you're not having any outdoor barbecues uh, the days that we're tearing it down, whatever it is. Um, so that you're not, you know, disrupted by noise or, you know, anything else. So we're in that 14 day window right now. And now we're going to, then we're going to tear it down uh, next week and start our project. So we got there, but man, it was a long haul. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Was it lost on anyone that L Lake Oswego and West Lynn got hit the hardest by that ice storm? I was just wow. in West Lynn um, this week, Joe, I've got a, I've got a listing on Bennington coming on. I mean, there's piles of sticks in every neighborhood, every two houses, everywhere, alongside Salamo. Um, I mean, yeah. it's like a war zone. It's getting, I'm hopeful it's getting better. This was a few days ago, and maybe it's not yet, but. Um, it's getting better. And, uh, people are getting rid of stuff, but the city of West Lynn is going out with trucks and they're chipping it and removing it. But when your entire city got hammered, people have to be a little bit patient as to when the city can get there. And, you know, we had some uh, stuff in front of our house and they came through and it's completely gone. Salamo is it's Salamo is like right there. So we're yeah. on top of the hill by the Safeway. Yeah. yeah. And I think exactly the same right. building Starbucks yeah. is in. It's right there. Nine out of 10 trees are gone. Yeah. And the one out of 10 that's standing is sort of like a, like a Frankenstein of a tree <laughs> been like ripped apart and it's just a, a shell of what it was, but they think it's going to live. So they left it. Um, yeah, we got hit hard. I mean, there were ice balls the size of those little cutie tangerines, but then you'd have three of those ice balls together and that's a lot of weight and yeah. things were snapping like crazy. So I don't know if you went down to Willamette Park at all, Joe, but I had to take, my wife's uh, family home one day because we had power and they didn't. It looked like Armageddon down there. I mean, it was uh, power lines down everywhere. Baseball diamonds were crushed with trees. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was crazy. I, I'd never seen anything like it. I took a bunch of pictures, but yeah, you're right. Westland, I think got hit the hardest. Yeah. And then parts of Lake Oswego, like Wembley Park, Noss Road area. 
it got, I mean, there were some massive trees down over there. One of my team members off of child lives off of child's road in Lake Oswego. They had no power for six days. Yeah. That's crazy. How about you, Joe? Did you lose power for a while? Um, I did, um, but we didn't lose it at the mountain. So I was at the mountain for a while, and then I started, sort of felt guilty that my cat was freezing her butt off at our house. And uh, I was curious, like, how, ma- how many trees we lost. So I did go for a couple days and froze there. Um, but, uh, and then it came back on. It was out just long enough to throw away everything out of your freezer. <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was a nutty one. I I've never seen anything like that one before. Um, I mean, we've had bad snowstorms, but the ice was crazy. So we're still still recovering from it. So yeah, but but to your point, Tucker, it, I think it does reframe the, the 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 question about trees. I mean, you know, they can be a big problem. I think there was a lot of frustrated people that were they were flat out pissed off that their power was out so long and and. Maybe maybe it'll add bring a little bit more rationality to that conversation that that you you in, <laughs> endure every you know every project. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But, uh, All right. Let's see. We're we, got, uh, we got some uh, heavier topics than the yes. and the she shed and some of the other things. Um, what do you guys want to tackle uh, next? You know, uh, go I, for it, Joe. Pick one. You pick one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hey, your third-party thing, your third-party s- service providers. Oh, okay. Or, so, um, so you know. I'll I'll introduce it. I'm actually have all these tabs open, and I'm on that one right now. So I posted something, and that's what myself and my clients decided on a listing that went live uh, last week, and we decided to disable uh, sharing with third-party sites. And what's interesting to me is I see people in masters talk about third-party sites. They got, uh, there's a lack of transparency and they got my volume is incorrect. And, you know, they're using all of my information. And when you share it to them, I think in the fine print, it says your pictures that you paid for the professional photographer are now our pictures. Um, and they get leads from it and then they sell it back to us and there's a lot of griping about it but if you don't do anything about it then nothing's going to change and you know i got frustrated with it and i talked to him about it and i said hey look pros and cons they spend millions and millions of dollars on this big mousetrap that's their website and it's beautiful and people go there and you do get more exposure but they pull from a bunch of different sources. They pull from the local MLS, they pull from postlets, they pull from tax records, and it's not 100% accurate. And when there is an inaccuracy there, it's, it's almost impossible to change. And so we went through pros and cons and we decided not to share on third-party sites. And anyway, the, the property sold cash over ask in three days. And um, some of the comments, someone's like, hey, be careful about antitrust and, you know, look who you're preaching to. I mean, I am the you guys are sick of me saying, hey, be careful about antitrust. I'm not saying, hey, we should all do this together. I'm saying, hey, here's something I did. I didn't name a particular 
third-party site. I just said, I'm not sharing it with third-party sites. And here's our reasoning. And if, if that's something that might jibe with your reasoning, you know, you could consider that with your clients if, if you choose. So there's, there's nothing antitrust about it. Um, and the responses were interesting. You know, a lot of people are like, you're a hero, you boldly go where no one goes. And then there's people like you're doing a big disservice. And, and the people that were against it were pretty aggressive about being against it. Um, and the people that were for it, you know, kind of played nice. And look, everybody doesn't have to agree with me or what my clients decided to do. Um, you can disagree with someone and still be respectful and make good points. And it seemed a little shouty at me, but um, anyway, the end result is if people wanted to know the ML number and the address, and I think people were watching it and uh, it sold for uh, more than full price cash in, in three days. And it's no different from the, you know, for sale by owner that says, man, this market's so good. I don't need to give you X amount of percentage to sell my house. I can sell it myself and save that. And if the market's so good and they can do that and they can do just as well, God love them, you know, do it. But, you know, I wouldn't recommend it, but uh, do it. And we have these people that really, really hate third-party sites, but then they go and they, they share it again and again. And I was just sharing my experience and same result. It sold, everybody's happy. And there you go. So when you don't check that box, where is it that buyers can see it? I know it's RMLS. I guess if someone's on an RMLS search, which a lot of us don't do, because a lot of us have CRMs like Boomtown or KV Core or something. And we use and don't they aren't they considered a third party site? Like well, Boom so Hub? there's there's a affiliate called List Hub, and they have just a list of like a hundred sites, and you can check, hey, share it with this person, share it with that person. And based on your decision and what you know about that third party site, you can um, share it or cannot share it. Um, but someone made a point, and, and sometimes the best points are when they're kind of ridiculous. Um, and someone said, hey, well, look, you're not sharing in the third party sites, but you're still marketing it everywhere. And unless you are marketing everywhere, all the time, all of your listings, the Super Bowl halftime show and, you know, marketing everywhere, putting it in every newspaper and every website across the United States and internationally, then you're not marketing as much as you can either. And I know that's a ridiculous statement, but it makes a point. We're still doing our marketing. I'm putting on social media. I have my plan. I develop my plan based on the property. If it was, you know, 800 to a million, maybe I market to uh, CEOs that are transferring here. If it's a condo, you know, maybe you market to people who are currently renting. You develop your own marketing plan for the property. And um, what's ironic to me is that you have lots of brokers complaining about these third-party sites. Um, for example, have you ever... Uh, had a listing and then a broker came and sold it. And then three or four years later, they say, hey, that listing, that deal we did together, 
um, we're going to go on the market, but there's a tenant in it now and I can't get the photos and it looks terrible. Can I have your photos? And then, you know, people scratch their heads and, well, I had to hire a professional photographer. You can buy my photos uh, from me or whatever. Yet we're willing to say, hey, third party sites have all of my photos. And when I share it with you, you own them now too. And it's, it's like, it doesn't make sense. Um, so uh, we did it this way. And again, every future listing is case specific. It's a seller's choice on the realtor's recommendations. And, you know, I'm not going to disable sharing on absolutely all sites, but this one was, and, you know, the, the world didn't explode. So Joe, can I ask the question again? I'm, I'm genuinely trying to understand this. Where do the buyers that did come see it? Like, I know RMLS, are you saying List Hub does push it out or doesn't push it out when you when you do that process? It's been a while since I've been there, but it, but if you sign up at List Hub, it'll say, hey, we share with all these places. And I think I think we checked all of them. Um, okay. I, I've so, never disabled it before. So List Hub is pushing it out to a bunch of places, but it's not going to... It, and we'll just Zillow, Redfin, my my website wouldn't have it, right? Because I have an IDX on my personal website, right? I think, yeah, I think I just said, hey, you guys tell me. And so uh, Mark Scholes said he couldn't see it. And somebody else. Yeah, said I saw that too. Here. I didn't see it here. Um, so I don't know where it all goes. Um, the, the buyer uh, came from a realtor. Um, I believe they found it in RMLS, but I did uh, a really amazing campaign to sending it to all the people with interest in a 55 and older community. So I never specifically asked, did you see this in a group? Did you, you know, mm -hmm. where did you see this? But it came from a, a well-respected uh, broker who brought the buyer and, you know, it's almost mm -hmm. done already. So. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Tucker? I got a question you want, for you. You want your listings on on the third party sites? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your houses. I, I, I'll. Uh, what do I get uh, to not uh, to not answer the question? What's the right to? Uh, to... <laughs> I'll take the fifth. Yeah, I'll take the fifth. But uh, I am curious. Uh, I'll put you in the hot seat. Will you disable it for your house? That goes live this afternoon. Oh, there's a good question. I knew That's you were gonna I knew you were gonna ask that. And love it. Um I don't know. Um, we've been uh sort of in a little tornado trying to get it ready and get photography and all this stuff. And I really haven't had too much time to go through all the disclosures and all the ways of, of marketing. But to to answer honestly, um probably because it's a love-hate relationship. They spend hundreds of millions of dollars on this site and it gets you exposure, but it comes with lots and lots of terrible stuff. And um, I'm responsible for the accuracy, at least from my level. I'm not necessarily responsible, responsible from how they take my information and put it in a platform that they want the public to see. And if it's inaccurate there, that isn't really on me. I don't love the fact that I could have inaccurate information out there, but um, I probably will because if, if one person disables third-party sites and the rest of the world doesn't, it 
it's sort of pointless. So um, I'll talk to her about it. I'll, I'll probably not disable it, but the jury's out on that. Hmm. Her being your wife? <laughs> My wife, yeah. <laughs> she's she's going to call the shots on that one. Hey, um, so, uh, I, I mean, first of all, Joe, I, I applaud you. I get it. I get it. We're all frustrated, right? And um, uh, I just don't. Uh, you are brave, by the way. You are brave. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with those people that say that. Um, and And I, but I just don't know that it's, gonna work <laughs> i think the genie's out of the bottle and i i think the consumer is the north star that we have to follow and they want to search on their own and i don't know that we can change that as an industry even because like you said it just it would take just one or two outliers who go well we'll put ours there and it creates a competitive advantage for them right um back to your point i i get your point too like I, we're we're paying for the photos we're giving them we're putting them here and then that's taking them out to all these third-party sites but isn't that our job isn't that what we're trying to do don't we want to get those photos out there to everybody isn't that how we get eyeballs on it which ultimately gets people there which ultimately gets it sold. I mean, that's, that's true. The ownership part is, is, is good. You're valid there. Like if you send it to Zillow and Redfin through the third party site, should they be able to own it and keep it forever? I get you with you there. Maybe there should be rules that after the listing's done, they know you own those photos. They have to come to you and pay you or whatever if they want. Well, it's, 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 it's more so like if someone said, Hey, can I market your listing or can I put it on my wall? more than happy to share each and every one of my listings with any realtor who asks and they can post it and advertise it. I don't want them to take my information and change it. They, they can share it, um, but I don't want them to change it. I, I, everything's factual, everything's there. They can share it, but I don't want them to reword it and change the photos up and, and you know, it's my responsibility that that it's accurate, but it isn't just the accuracy. I mean, the third party sites, there's there's a lot more to it. And I thought, hey, we're all grumbling about it. Um, let me talk to these people and they have confidence in me. I've sold lots of properties for them in the past and all of them have worked out great. And um, anyway, uh, it it worked out and I'm going to have that conversation with people in the future. Um, and look, we are the tools that write, uh, the wishes of our clients and customers. We don't make any decisions unless we're an absolute principle in the transaction, which we're not unless you're selling or buying your own home. And so, uh, that's what it is. And, and we educate them and ultimately they make the decision, but, uh, it was interesting to see the tone of people were so married to the third party sites that they just thought, oh my God, I can't believe I would never do that. I want to, but I'd never do it. And, you know, because of the exposure and look, the way real estate changes, like just like Elon Musk is trying to, to change how we drive cars and use have sending reusable rockets to space and and having you know personal flights to 
you know, different uh, planets. It, it's, we had Open Door, for example, no antitrust there. This, this is a fact. Open Door came into the market and they were buying houses from people to sell them. And they weren't necessarily worried about making a profit. They wanted to change how real estate was being conducted, that you can sell your property to them and then they can turn around and sell it. And it got, it got legs for a while. You know, we saw more and more um, of that company's uh, things. And so we can change how we do business. We've changed, it's evolved a thousand times since I started in the business. I can't even tell you. And um, I think right now people are leaning too much on, uh, they have a beautiful mousetrap and they pay a lot of money for it and we get to use it. But this comes back to that great movie that all of us watch, that documentary, it's The Social Dilemma, right? If, if you get something and you're not paying for it, you're the commodity. So, right, like Facebook, it's mind blowing to me. People are on Facebook and Mike, Mark Zuckerberg, this, and I hate this and I hate this. Well, this absolutely free social media platform that you are in no way, shape or form obligated to use whatsoever, yet you're still using it. And, and I know because I read your posts, how you hate Facebook every day. And it just kind of goes on and on and on. So um, I would wish that uh, we didn't let it get to that point um, with sharing everything and now kind of relying on them because their platform is better than a lot of ours. So this is my thoughts. Yeah, <clears throat> these, these things have happened to other industries, right? I mean, music, it happened to music. And you remember when they tried to shut Napster down? Well, I mean, you know, Actually, I guess with the music situation, I guess you could argue that Apple kind of saved everybody in, on the, in that world because the iTunes store came out and said, okay, what if we just charge a modest price and, and then, you know, people start paying again, even though, um, and which kind of squashed mu music free, the free theft of music a lot. But um, I would just say, here is my, here would, here would be my admonition to people. Um, <clears throat> the world is changing. I don't know. I think we just have to pivot, right? We have to evolve with it. Um, here's what I'm doing, right? And I'll just I'll just put it put it out there. Like I don't think the future of realtors is necessarily fully. It it is somewhat the finding of the property or the, but I think it's everything after that or everything before that, right? Um, especially listed properties. Now, where could we as realtors get creative? How about finding unlisted properties, finding stuff that's off market, right? There's one area. The other thing that I'm starting to do is like you just said it, Open Door wants to buy your house and then flip it. Zillow wants to buy your house and flip it. Why don't we help you flip it? Why as we realtors, as an industry, don't we have a machine we can take to our clients with contractors, service providers, stagers, designers, where we go, hey, I think we can put 30, 40 grand in this house and get you a hundred. Let's not let Zillow do that. Let's not let Redfin do that. That's, why don't we help you do that? Maybe those consumers will start to look at us again and go, whoa, hey, you know what? You're easily worth your commission. 
you just want a little tiny piece of, of the, the profit you're helping me make. So there's, there's ways to pivot and, and not try to throw the genie in the back in the bottle, but rather go, go with the times and create new, new, new services that we can add to the clients that show our value. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> hey, speaking of flips, there was a question here, Victor, Victor Rudnitsky. Um, hey guys, great live. Thank you. I know it's a hot market. Is there any chance for flips on, on this market? That's a Tucker question. What do you think Tucker? <laughs> yeah, there is I'm buying one next week. Um, but it, it ain't easy. Tell you that. Um, it's, it's hot. You're not going to buy anything on market that makes any money more than likely. Yeah. Um, if you do, it's going to have to be a build. Um, but it's, it's tough because if it's at all habitable, livable, you're going to get an end buyer that probably buys it um, just based on the lack of inventory. And if it's not, you're going to get everybody that has aspirations of being a home flipper bidding on it. And uh, most of them think they can get the work done for less than you can actually get it done for, which makes them pay a higher price. And so you end up playing the game of who wants to make the least amount of money or no money. Yeah. So, race to the bottom, right? Yeah. Race to the bottom. So it's, it's tough. Um, you got to buy them off market if you want to do them and have them be any sort of a success. I would say the vast majority of the time right now. Yeah. And, and then, and then that, that creates the, um, innovation of how do you find off market stuff? And, um, and there's, there's ways, I mean, you know, phone calls, letters, direct mail, um, get creative. I I've had some success with direct mail recently and I'm, I'll tell you, it works. Been doing I it for 15 works. years, Steve. That's yeah. we, we, uh, my wife, Sarah and I sent, um, letters to some waterfront people and uh and then i get a call from a realtor that says hey my friends gave me uh, your letter and uh uh which i think is great you know i don't necessarily have to direct deal but we're gonna go check out a property maybe in the next week or two uh because of the letter and the fact that they're associated with a, a broker is amazing so yeah yeah um it does work. I mean, I know that people get hammered with, do you want to sell your house? Do you want to sell your house? But every once in a while, someone does want to sell their house and we could sure use the inventory. So hey, I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you in on a little Snapple fun fact, Joe. The last uh, four houses I've lived in all came as a result of contacting the previous owner directly via letter. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one of mine have been that way. Word of mouth before it hit the market. Not mm -hmm. by design. It just so happened. And uh, so. I'll tell you what. And when you find one that way, they'll let you sell your house first, right? I mean, you find something on market and you got a contingent offer. Good luck, right? But you find somebody that way. The, the, usually my experience is they're not in a hurry. They're They're eager to let you have three months, six months to, to figure your stuff out. So, yep. um, yep. yeah. And, and you'll, you'll get some listings along the way. I'm not going to give all my secrets, but we're yeah, yeah. some, some good ones here, right? Right? Like, you guys get there, the there's some stuff here, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Well, right, we cool. got, there's, there's uh, we got a couple more things here. Let me see what we got. Let me check out the different tabs I got open. Maybe we hit one more since we're, yeah, we're getting there. there. Yeah. Um, so, there was a post by Dale Chumley, um, February 11th. And this was another big topic. Uh, it's the fact that showing time was purchased by Zillow. And 
nobody knows necessarily what does that mean? Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? You know, Zillow is now um, a, a licensed real estate company. They're part of our MLS in every state <clears throat> and they own a tool that we all have been using lately. Is there reason for panic? What do you guys think? I'm curious what you guys think they're actually going to use it for. Steve? I don't fully know. I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. I, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I have a love hate relationship with Zillow. I mean, you know, I, I, I still use them for some lead generation, but I love them less every day. And, and that's been going on for years now. So it's pretty low, <laughs> my level of love and my trust of them. All the guys that were there, the CEO, Spencer Raskoff, um, their number two guy, Greg Schwartz, all the guys that were there in 15 and 16 that were promising we're never going to be a brokerage are gone. So I don't, so I don't know if that was strategic. Like I don't, or, or if they really believe that and that's why they're gone. I, in other words, I, I don't know if they put them out in the front and said, Hey, you go tell everyone we're not going to be a brokerage and then we'll get rid of you. And, and when we decide to be a brokerage, right. Or if those guys fought to not be a brokerage and that's why they're gone. But, um, so I don't have a lot of trust of Zillow. Um, that said, we're going to be okay. I think I truly believe as an industry, we're going to be okay. Could could there be an impact to the lower rungs of our business? Absolutely, right? You know, is there going to be as many? Probably not. Um, but but what we do is valuable. I mean, I you know, create the value. Be a negotiator, be resourceful in finding off market properties for your buyers, be resourceful in helping your sellers get the most for their house. And I'm not talking about just simply putting it on the market. I'm talking about being a strategist with regards to the presentation of the property, but also be an expert of the marketing of the property. Um, there's so much, even when you do finally have a buyer and a seller together, there's so much to navigate. My gosh, guys. I just had a transaction up in Washougal on a hill overlooking the gorge where that had mudslides in the middle of the escrow, right? But buyer and seller in contract and we had med mudslides, had to bring in a geotech. First time I've ever worked with a geotech, but I was their resource. I was their, I was their representative through that process, learning, understanding things, representing them. Um, so even when even when people are connected, there's still so much to navigate, right? Hey, let's bring on a, a guest interview. <laughs> so create the value. We're going to be okay as a business. Zillow's going to do something, but but even if they go all the way to being a Redfin, what's did that really work? Right? Do do we really worry that much about Redfin? I know, do we worry when we compete against them on a listing? I mean, gosh, the last time I uh, competed against Redfin on a listing, I don't even think that agent remembered the client's names days later, right? I mean, they just have so much coming at them and they're employee, salaried employees. So um, so I don't know, right? They're, Zillow's model that we're going to buy these homes, do you guys know they charge 7.5%? Yeah, I also yeah. know they don't make money yet either. So, I mean, it's it's an it's kind of an Uber model. Um, it's disruptive, which is what they're hanging their hat on right now. They keep adding 
additional technologies and services as kind of like what they're selling is like this big picture someday it's going to work thing but someday has to come someday otherwise it just is another big business that doesn't actually turn a profit so i don't know i, I think it's it's yet to be seen but it, i've worked with enough sellers over the years that to know that they are they are commission sensitive and they will gladly wait 30 to 60 days to get another couple percentage points, right? So the the whole we're we're charging seven and a half percent. That's easy to squash. And then the other the other conversation to have with your clients who are even considering this is go. You know Zillow is going to try to profit on your house. You know they're going to come in and try to make money. Why why else would they buy the house? Why don't we do that for you, right? I mean, well, why don't we? Uh, so the ultimate in job security is to make yourself indispensable. And, you know, third-party sites are kind of doing that with having these amazing websites that a lot of, they drive a lot of traffic. I'm always a little uh, cautious when, you know, hey, I'm your realtor and my, my wife is your lender and my aunt is your escrow officer and my cousin Jerry is your inspector. And it's, it's, it's a little too many fingers in the pie. And this is so new, I just don't know why if Zillow bought showing time, you know, they say to solve a murder, follow the money, who benefits, right? You know, they go to the spouse. Is there a big fat life insurance policy? Who owes the money? Who's to benefit? I don't know what the benefit is of them buying showing time. This has been presented to us and it's convenient. And I think a lot of people like it. Is it just like one more thing that we rely on? Um, so the jury's out for me. I do want to read about it. And I'm trying to, in my mind, figure out what's their benefit for buying. I don't the think only thing I can come up with, Joe, is that it's a purchase to better an algorithm because they can see which properties book more showings more quickly. And if that's the case, then it literally is just a, a, a capital investment in a bigger machine. But they paid a ton of money for a capital investment in a bigger machine to just get a small piece of da data. So I, that's the only thing I've been able to come up with at this point. Maybe I'm not seeing the forest through the trees or I haven't read the right articles, but yeah, I'll be interested. Or for their properties, they wanted control of it for their Zillow owned homes, maybe. I mean, yeah, I agree with you, Tucker, there. Yeah, they, they I think they want to own the process from stem to stern eventually because they have, you know, they have a dot loop, which is a signing technology and I, so to me, it's not that different than some of that stuff. They own Purple Dot, I believe, which is a CRM. Um, so they've been doing this stuff for a while. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I, there's I, the our industry. We're we're fortunate for a few reasons. First of all, our industry has licensing law. Okay, if we didn't have licensing law, guys, technology would have come in a long time ago and disrupted us and, 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 and many other things would have disrupted us beyond technology. We're fortunate that there's a, a rigorous process where an entity or person or whatever has to get brokerage licenses, get your individual licenses. And it keeps a lot of riffraff out, right? Um, we also have National Association of Realtors. That is a very strong lobbying arm. They are, they are, all over Washington DC and then on the local levels advocating for us and and we paid we pay them you know well to do so 
Um, and then the other thing that we have going for us is transactions are so infrequent. I mean, most people aren't doing them every seven or eight years. So do you really need it to be that convenient? I mean, or is it okay that every seven or eight years you go through this process, you get a couple, a little bit more if you go through a great agent, they're complicated and they're super expensive. They're the most expensive asset people have. So I think people are always going to want a person that helps them through that process who not who removes emotion from it, right? It's so emotional for people. And Joe, you're going to go through this. It's going to be interesting for you because you're going to have emotions as you're selling your house. You remember everything that happened in all those rooms. And when that yeah. guy's or gal or, or family is doing inspections and they tell you, well, the back door squeaky and, and you didn't do your, uh, your crawl space, right? You're going to go, well, screw you. I've lived here 16 years. How dare you tell me how I didn't do it? Right. Right. Those are emotions. Even though you're a professional realtor, you're going to feel them in a different way on your own personal residence. So we have, that's another reason why I think our industry is always going to be okay. We are the diffuser of the emotions. We're the shock absorber between the two parties, taking emotions and turning them into logic. And um, I think Zillow wants to do big things. I think they think they're going to do big things, but I think there will always be limitations on what they do is my, is my take. Good way to wrap it up. Um, we've been going for a while. So, and I got a boogie here in about three minutes, but uh, good show, big topics. Joe, you've got uh, some life changing events coming up probably by uh, Sunday <laughs> as in determining which <laughs> offer you're going to pick. Right. Yeah. Uh, maybe a few like hot or not uh, text messages back to other agents. Let them know if they're close. I'm uh, putting a watch on it right now, Joe. And I'm going to be looking at those photos, looking for Joe's stuff. <laughs> all right. It's only thing I'm waiting for is the photos to arrive. And then uh, it's, it's all done offline. I just got to upload photos and shoot it out there. Awesome. Fantastic. Cool. Well, good luck with that. And uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll be back with another one here shortly. And uh, make sure to check out Joe's new logo if you have not already. See you next time. Thanks again for listening to our show. And make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.